0: Hello everybody, it's the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance and again, it's Chris and Lisa.
1: Bonjour.
0: Wow, what was that Chris? You're getting a little international. Why is
1: that? I picked up one word in my travels. Where were you Chris? I uh, was over in Europe. I uh, flew into Amsterdam, spent a little time there on uh, vacation with my wife and did a little reconnoitering on telecom as well. But then I went over to Brussels for a presentation in front of some uh, regulator-type folks from the European Commission. And then I went up to Bruges, which is a beautiful, beautiful old town in uh, the northern northern part of Belgium.
0: Which reminds me, we still need to see some pictures.
1: Pictures, pictures, yeah. I think actually my wife was hounding me about those as well. I still haven't actually shown anyone pictures from Istanbul. So, you know, we'll see what happens. <laughs>
0: Okay. Well, that's one of the reasons why we're here. Chris is going to talk to us a little bit about his trip and um, some of the things that they discussed. We do have some video from the event. Um, It's going to be posted on muninetworks.org soon. Chris was there talking about what's going on in the United States, but while he was over there, he learned a lot about what's happening in Europe. And that's some of the things that he's going to share with us. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. Chris, um, cable in Amsterdam.
1: Sure. You know, I'm a I'm a married man, so when I got to Amsterdam, my first thought was, let's see what the telecom situation
0: is.
1: <laughs> you know, I was looking for billboards on cable prices, not for the red light district. <laughs> and um, one of the things I found interesting was just outside the hotel, my wife and I were waiting for a tram, which is light rail, and uh, I had to step back and take a photo of the billboard, and uh, because a lot of it was actually in uh, Dutch, I suppose. Um There's a lot of languages over there, and I wasn't always sure which one I was seeing because I'm not the most multilingual folks. Right, right. But it was interesting because one thing I did recognize, and that's that it said 120 megabits per second, and it was obviously a cable type of thing. It was a triple play offering from the cable provider, and uh, I had the the picture of it, and then later on, our last night in Amsterdam, my wife and I had, uh, we grabbed a beer with Herman Wagter, who... Uh, is was very much involved with building CityNet mm-hmm. and wrote a number of articles about it, including one in 2010 on Ars Technica about how the city of Amsterdam partnered with two other firms to bring fiber-optic cables to a whole bunch of the city. And that has led to the cable incumbent uh, building a much better network, offering faster services. And the advertisement that I saw was for 120 megabit per second downstream, and uh, the introductory price for three months of I want to say with an introductory price of about forty euros, so call that, that? Uh, fifty U.S. dollars per month, uh-huh. that then escalates to uh, about seventy-five or eighty dollars per month for the triple play, for which they would receive uh, a ton of television channels, uh, uh, voice telephone. And a, uh, the 120 megabits per second and probably an upstream connection of on the order of 10 megabits per second. Uh-huh. So it's about a 10 to 1 or 12 to 1 ratio, which is not that different from what we get from right. Comcast here. Yeah. But, but in essence, it was a triple play package for about uh, half the price that I pay Comcast and double the speed that I can get from Comcast for that. Mm-hmm. And so this about fit what I expected to get in Europe. Uh, because as we know, many European cities have better connections and a better uh, connectivity than you can get in the United States, uh particularly for the wired services. That's what we're typically focused on is the cable or fiber connection mm-hmm. uh to us in our homes. So that was, it was very interesting to see what was going on in Amsterdam. And, and just anecdotally, I also have to say that Amsterdam is one of those places that I feel like Everyone should see at some point because it's a, it's a beautiful ancient city, uh, maybe not ancient, but very old, uh, certainly 800 900 years old. but it's been built around the bicycle. and people have described to me that, this to me over the years. but until you see it, you don't really understand it. Uh, and it was it was something that was really worth seeing, and I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to see it.
0: And that's interesting too, because here in Minneapolis and St. Paul, you know we're known as one of the most bicycle friendly places in yep. the u.s yeah most of us in the office
1: even bike in right regular races right so in it summer. must have really
0: been something if, it, they, if you were struck
1: there was multi-level parking <laughs> decks for bicycles only hmm. around the central train station just like we have multi-level parking decks for cars they had them for bicycles and they were enormous and they were filled up so but from there we went to brussels and i didn't know much about brussels i still frankly don't know very much about brussels But what I found interesting is that the internet connectivity there sucks.
0: Why is that?
1: (laughs) I don't actually know. I I didn't um, – Benoit Felton, who we'll talk about a little bit, a a friend and international expert on telecom, a guy that I – I think is one of the mo- most important people to read internationally on this subject.
0: And who we've spoken with before. Yes, we've had him on
1: the show. Um, he, he gave me a brief explanation, but I've since forgotten it. I'm going to blame it on jet lag rather than my inability to listen to people. Um, but, you know, I started off as I was, I was in the hotels and I was thinking, well, it's interesting because our hotel in Amsterdam had decent internet connectivity. And, you know... Uh, that's not necessarily a signifier of anything. Some of the hotels in Chattanooga, like the Chattanoogan, have incredible internet connectivity. Santa Monica has some hotels, great internet connectivity because they've used the city-owned fiber. But other hotels, they just use something that they have a national contract with AT&T. And so they have really poor internet service. So you don't necessarily know much about uh, a city's service based on its hotels. But in Brussels... The hotel was terrible. Really? Probably the worst hotel I've ever had that advertised Wi-Fi. Wow. It was not clear that it actually worked. I think my wife and I, with a flashlight and doing Morse code, may have been able to transmit information more rapidly. Oh, my God. Um, So, And I was talking with Benoit and other people about it who were at this event. And and they said Brussels is well known as being the worst city in just terrible connectivity. And I asked them, well, it's interesting because we always hear about how great European cities are. And he said yes, and, and I asked him, if you had to pick between being plopped down in a random large European city or a random large U.S. city, where would you get better internet connectivity? And he said European without a doubt, um, but Brussels is sort of at the bottom of the pack. Uh-huh. So, But on average, uh, these people who really know what they're talking about said that when you're looking at comparing city to city, which I think is a good comparison in which the folks at the Open Technology Institute have compared. It's undoubtable that it is better to be in a European city for these kind of high capacity connections.
0: Right. Oh, uh, we just wrote about a report that they published not long ago and there were a lot there were a lot of comparisons. And you know and sometimes the comparison there was an awful lot of space between the top and the bottom. <laughs> and often the top were European or Asian cities and the bottom were the US cities, which is not a surprise to anybody who's listening to this podcast.
1: No. In fact, I mean, there's there's a number of challenges we face in U.S. broadband or Internet access policy. And one of those is, I think, our top cities, our biggest cities and our most entrepreneurial cities, which may not be the biggest ones, of course. All of them are trying to figure out how to be toward the top of those scales. But one of the things that's challenging them is the incumbent providers. Mm-hmm. This is something that, we, that was reinforced to me in Europe. The incumbents are a major problem for those who want to encourage investment, just like it is in the US. In the US, we have a history of privately owned corporations providing telecom services. In Europe, they had a history of of publicly owned state companies. They were national companies that then were privatized. And frankly, I don't know that things have gotten much better since they were privately run, because fundamentally, the difficulty is they basically have a monopoly. And whether you have a public monopoly or a private monopoly, Service tends not to be all that great right. I think, mm-hmm. and I think it's far more desirable to have a public monopoly than a private but fundamentally we want to have a system where people have a choice and that forces whoever the entity is owning the network to provide better levels of services. Mm-hmm.
0: We often talk about the problems with incumbents in the US, so what about the problems with incumbents in Europe?
1: Well, it turns out that the U.S. is not the only country in the world that has a problem with powerful corporations lobbying, and it seems that the European Commission and uh, the European Union and and even the state governments, which is to say like the British government, the The government of the Netherlands, the government of Belgium. They are very influenced by their incumbents and trying to figure out how to increase investment for fiber optic networks and they're mostly focused on how to get the incumbents to do it. Much like former FCC Chairman Julius Janikowski prior to Chairman Wheeler, Chairman Janikowski also was totally focused on incumbents. I thought it was a foolish policy and it really went nowhere. The Europeans, I think, are struggling to get over this. And it's unfortunate because the incumbents have so much power. They have very little interest in, in upgrading to new technologies and offering better services. Um, but one of the things that, that Benoit talked about at our event, and we'll have a link to the video for both his presentation as well as mine, was the the, the, the benefits of structural separation, which is...
0: And let's explain what that is for listeners.
1: <laughs> so structural separation is... Well, let's talk about first about separation. Separation is the idea that... The entity that is owning the service, that is owning the physical infrastructure, the fiber optic cables or the copper cables or whatever the cables are and the electronic devices and things like that, that's not the entity that's providing services. So the goal would be that whoever owns the wires allows multiple entities to operate over those wires because it's not allowed to have any give any special favors to any one operator, right? Now, there's two ways to get there. One is functional separation, and one is structural separation. Functional separation is kind of like what we did at Microsoft, which was to say, all right, you're all still one company, but you have to have a firewall between these different arms of the service. You can't have people that are developing Word working to have special features in the operating system from those who are developing the operating system, right? Structural separation says, no, we're breaking you up, and there's gonna be two wholly different companies One's going to provide services, one's going to manage infrastructure. Some places that have been uh, engaging in this functional separation have found that it just doesn't work very well, that companies still find sneaky ways of benefiting themselves at the expense of competitors. And so Benoit makes, I think, a persuasive argument for structural separation. Frankly, it's one we should have in the U.S. Um, Our 1996 Telecommunications Act was basically looking at a separation kind of approach where The wires would be open to competitors, but the cable and telephone companies were able to uh, lobby and make sure that that policy failed and that they were able to run off their competitors and not have to share their wires. As long as this is a question I got on a show recently that I did, you know, I think streparation is a very smart policy. I just don't think, given the amount of political corruption we have in Washington, D.C., the power of big cable and telephone companies, that it's feasible. And so... I think structural separation makes a lot of sense. I don't think it has a real future in the United States, and if it did, it would be a short future because you would just have AT&T, Verizon and and Comcast and others that were basically buying off a change in the laws.
0: So does Benoît feel like it has much of a future in Europe?
1: Yes, I think so. And I think he's right. I think Europe has uh because those,
0: because they're not so far down the road as we are maybe.
1: Well, because I think they don't top they don't tolerate the level of corruption that we do in terms of the way our campaigns are financed, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just, I feel like there is a possibility, although it's still a a hard lift in Europe, but it's a very smart policy, and it's one that will result in more investment and better connectivity for people.
0: Mm -hmm. So were there any other things that struck you about the role of incumbents in Europe? Well, one
1: of the things that, that I really enjoyed in the panel discussion following all of our presentations was something that reminded me of a conversation that had happened in the U.S. where uh, I believe it was a city in in Colorado, but I cannot remember now, where they they wanted to build their own dark fiber network, where they weren't going to offer services. They were just going to, in fact, do the separation kind of thing. The city was just going to provide dark fiber. And Comcast, I think it was Comcast, let's just say a big incumbent, said, that's not fair. You're competing with us and you're a city, and that's not fair. And the city responded by saying, how much do you charge for dark fiber? And this provider said, oh, no, we, we don't offer dark fiber. And <laughs> city said, well, then we're not competing, are we? <laughs> Which I think is a great illustration. Now, the big providers, whether it's in the United States or in Europe, they don't like to do dark fiber because it's a low margin business. There's not much profitability in it. They want to sell you lit circuits where you pay a heck of a lot more for a gigabit than you pay for 10 megabits per second.
0: And they manage it, manage services. And- yeah, they
1: find all kinds of ways of raising your costs over time, mm-hmm. whereas dark fiber tends to be a fixed cost and there's not a lot of margin in it. So the incumbents over there have have little interest in leasing it, uh, much like our incumbents have little interest in leasing it. Uh, and there's some other issues with dark fiber, but, at, you know, There's some other issues with dark fiber as well, which is that it is inherently limited. I mean, if you want to lease out 300 uh, pairs, then you need 600 strands of fiber, which requires a very large fiber builds and that sort of thing. And it it may not be the right approach for everything, but it is a sense. It gives you a sense of of how these guys really want uh, the incumbents really want to have their cake and eat it too. One of the reasons that, that I think that that's an important story is because of this thing called the State Aid Rules in Europe What's that That is a confusing set of rules that Europe has to basically say they want to make sure that if there's a Belgian company that the government of Belgium is not unfairly favoring that
0: basically, state aid law is to prevent one country from protecting from protecting companies within its. Is that how it works? Or? Yeah,
1: that's basically it. And it's it's very convoluted. And within telecom, it manifests itself in interesting ways. So if a city wanted to build a telecommunications network to the entire city, uh, it may not be able to build in areas that already have a existing provider. It may only be able to build in areas where there's no service. Well, this is something we go through here in Minnesota, we've talked about extensively, where you can't build if there's crappy cable and slow DSL building yeah it, the the those companies claim it's not fair for you to build a fiber network and i regularly say you know this is basically saying that if the private sector has a dirt road you're not allowed to build an interstate and that's crazy but europe has some of these same sorts of rules and they have very complicated procedures for for going through them and so it's just it was interesting getting a sense of the european context for a lot of this that restricts local authority to build networks depending on where they are uh, often to the benefit of the existing private companies one of the reasons that i was there was to give a better sense of the way that cities can get involved and how it can help uh, to have more investment and how everyone can benefit by having cities involved that may be by providing this passive dark fiber infrastructure which is what Stockholm has done and which some other cities have done to do open access services where you have competition. Uh, But it can also be other approaches. And so I was there to provide some context on what we've seen in the United States and how uh, the lessons we've learned might be useful in Europe for them to determine how they can make sure that their cities have the connectivity that they need.
0: I remember watching the panel discussion after your presentation. And I remember you brought up something that Joey Durrell said that reminded me of that. Yeah,
1: Joey, mayor of Lafayette, um, he had testified in front of the U.S. uh, Senate, one of the committees of the U.S. Senate. And then when talking about municipal broadband, he said along the lines of, hey, you know what would be great is if all 49 other states banned municipal networks and then we in Lafayette will welcome all of your tech companies to move down here with Mm. a big pot of gumbo. (laughs) And it's interesting because as you've noted on the blog, you know, they've actually seen some 1300 tech to new high tech jobs coming in in just the past six months. So, um, So I made that, I noted that comment in my panel comments and I said, this is something that Europe needs to keep in mind because a lot of the great European cities you know, they have decent connectivity, but they don't even compare to what you have in Stokav, um, in Stockholm with the city-owned Stockholm network, where you have this incredible fiber throughout the entire community. And I said, if you're gonna have rules in the European continent that limit the ability of your great cities to have the connectivity that they need, you should expect that a lot of the big businesses and the, the, the small businesses, but any high-tech business, they're going to be moving to Stockholm. Mm -hmm. We're already seeing that to some extent. There's going to be winners and losers, Mm -hmm. you know, based on these decisions. And if you're going to put handcuffs on the ability of a city to make sure it has the connectivity it needs, there's going to be repercussions. And part of that's going to be a reordering because the city of Stockholm has got its stuff together, Mm -hmm. right? They have great connectivity. They've got great wire and great wireless connectivity because of the investments they've made over 20 years. And if they're not going to let other European cities do that, well, then I think Stockholm is going to be doing quite well in the future.
0: Great. So anything else from your trip that you want to bring up?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of things that are interesting when you're traveling through Europe. I mean, the trains are amazing. I get up to 190 miles per hour on, on one of the, the trains between, uh, I believe it was Antwerp and Rotterdam when I was heading back from Brussels to Amsterdam. Um, you know, they have incredible infrastructure that's almost entirely below the ground in a lot of the cities mm-hmm. uh, where they've invested in putting it underneath the ground. And I think that makes a lot of sense. It can be harder and more expensive to deploy fiber optic networks, I grant you, but it looks a lot better mm-hmm. when you don't have these wires cluttering up your views. But I just thought it was interesting, and it's one of those things that, especially if you're an electric utility, the ability to underground while, um, you know, if you're undergrounding your electric lines slowly over a period of Many decades, perhaps, starting to get conduit in for fiber optics and things like that. It'll speed it up in some areas of town. In general, it's just it was great to see different cultures and to see how they do things. And also, you know, having a sense that while most European cities are, in fact, better than than what we have here for telecommunications, you know, there's definitely a pecking order among those cities. And, you know, U.S. cities that want to have some smart investment, I think they have a very good chance to to get back up to the top of the order, because incumbents are lobbying in Europe to try and limit their ability to have competition, just like we're seeing it here in the U.S. You know, we're we're
0: falling a little bit toward the middle of the pack right now, but we can change that with some smart investments. Remember to check back at muninetworks.org for video of Chris's presentation at the Maximizing Fiber Infrastructure in Europe event. We also want to encourage you to revisit episode 21 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast, in which Benoit Felton and Chris discuss Stokob, Stockholm's municipal open access fiber network. ILSR brings you the Community Broadband Bits podcast every Tuesday, advertisement free. If you listen to the podcast, we hope you'll consider donating any amount to support our efforts to share the latest information on community broadband networks. Just go to ILSR.org and click on the orange Donate button on the upper right. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Community nets. Thank you again to Dickie F. for his song, Florida Mama, licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks again for listening.